Hi, and welcome to the New Life Podcast. This is Pastor Ken Bringus. We trust that you are being inspired and encouraged by the messages that we post here. And we would love to meet you live and in person at one of our two campuses, Norwalk or Harbor City, California. We start every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. In this particular episode, we begin a brand new series called Our Imperfect Family, Getting Real About the Health of Your Home. You're about to hear Pastor Ken Santos break down what makes us family. Enjoy the message and be blessed. My son just started high school at my alma mater, La Mirada High School. Anyone else? La Mirada right there? Yeah? So I graduated in 1995. That was a long time ago. Um, but I was sitting in his classroom last week during the back, back to school night. And I was just reminiscing about what my high school um, life was like. And I don't remember much. Um, but it was very much different from how it is today. Um, and I'm sure many of you parents can relate. Uh, back in the days, so I was in the school library. And, and I was surprised to see a, a shelf, a bookshelf full of encyclopedias. Does anyone here still have a full set of world book or Britannica encyclopedias in your house? Anybody? Yes, a few of you. And when is the last time you ever opened one of those books? It's been a long time, right? You guys spent $1,000 on these sets. Yes? I used them a lot when I was in high school, but now our kids will never open up one of these encyclopedias. Why? Because it's all on our cell phone, right? They can act, they have instant access to information a thousand times more than what we had 20 years ago, 30 years ago, right? This generation of students have no idea what it's like to do research by finding articles and books, physically finding them. They're on Wikipedia or whatever they're use, allowed to use at school, and they're finding this information instantly at, 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 at the tip of their fingers. It's right there. And so, you know, how, imagine life before, before we had social media, Wi-Fi, right? Cell phones. What, how did we survive, parents? I don't even know. And so this world is changing at such a rapid pace, and we can't expect uh, our kids to go through the same things that we went through uh, in high school. Sometimes it's even more complex. You see, um, we, we, we try to, to have all these advancements in technology and medicine in um, you know, social reform, social media. Um, it's trying, it, we want to connect, be connected, right? instantly with each other. Everyone has Facebook and Instagram, you know, and it keeps us connected. Um, but, but still, none of these things, that's ha none of these advancements have really changed um, this void that we have in our lives that only God can fill, right? We're trying to make the world a more ideal place, a more perfect place. But none of these advancements in the past few years are really getting us there. Um, in society and culture, the, the hope that we have for healing and restoration isn't found in government or technology or military or business or more education, but it's only found, as we've been singing all day today, it's only found in the Lord. It's only found in the living hope 
that is in Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. We need the Lord. Technology can only give us so much, but it's never going to save us. Now let's apply this to the basic unit of our society, our family. If you're here with your family today, look at them. Look at them and ask yourself, do I have a blessed family? Many of us say amen. Praise the Lord. And how many here would say I have a perfect family? No? Why not? How many of you would say I have an ideal family? Right? Anyone grew, grow up on, on, on TV, sitcoms, and you see all these ideal families out there on TV, and you're like, oh, my family, I wish my family was like that, right? And so when you ask me, or if you ask my family, you know, do you have a perfect family? My kids would say, of course, my dad's a pastor. <laughs> when you become a pastor, you end up having perfect families, is that right, Pastor Ron? No, they're not, they're, they're not going to tell you, oh, it's so amazing being a pastor's wife. Oh, it's so amazing being a pastor's kid. No, we all have families that are less than ideal. And so if you think of your own family, what elements in your family would make your family more ideal? What elements would you hope for in your family? Kids might say, obviously, I, I wish I had better parents. Parents would say, I wish my kids were more behaved. Some would say, well, I wish we had more time, more vacation time, more, a better financial situation than what we're in right now. I wish we had a better home or a neighborhood to live in. Wish we had healthier relationships less arguing, less bickering, less shouting, less door slamming, right? Some might even wish for a totally different family altogether, free of violence, free of abuse, free of addictions, free of despair and hopelessness and hate. And so no matter what kind of family you, background you have, whether it, you love your family or you have kind of a disagreement with your family. We, we can all relate to this kind of gap that's there, the gap in the experience of our family and, and an ideal family, what we want and hope our family to be like. So if we look at our, our, our extended family, our family of origin, our, our grandparents, our uncles, our aunts, our cousins, our siblings, some of them we have such an undying and unwavering loyalty and affection for. But others, we're like, man, I can't believe this person's in my family. They're, they're, they're bringing shame on our family. And if you don't have anyone in your family like that, maybe you're that person that, that's bringing shame on your family. I'm joking, okay? But, but the point is, we're all imperfect people. Any perfect people in the house? No. And so when you bring imperfect people together, what happens? As wonderful as family can be, we will fall short, we will fail, we'll make some unrealistic expectations and demands on one another. Maybe there would even be betrayal. 
sometimes abuse. And so families could either make us feel great and hopeful or wanting more. And so today I want to talk to you guys about what makes us family. How does God frame this idea of family? Because God has a divine design and intention for the family unit. But family in general isn't a Christian thing, right? It's not just limited to Christian society. Even in Christianity, family systems fail, they break down, because we live in this fallen world. And so many of us have experienced disappointments in our families. Some experience abuse, some experience harm. Some have elevated their family to idol worship. I will do everything for my family. My family is the only thing that matters. And so I will work, I will provide, so that my family can have the best. And some of those things are okay. But when the family ends up becoming an idol, it takes away from what God, the place that God wants to have in our lives. You see, our biological family is, it's, it's good. It's not wrong, it's not bad. But for, for it to truly serve God's redemptive purpose, and become truly Christ-centered, it must be removed from this absolute position of family first. And it has to be reoriented around the claims of God's kingdom. The family unit needs to become a discipleship center, a place for every member to learn how to become a more devoted follower of Jesus. And so our key thought for today is your family, our family, must move from being the center to becoming a center of Christian discipleship. God has a plan for the family. And in fact, if you go through the Old Testament, he started with a family. A biological family played an important role in God's plan to redeem the world. In Genesis chapters 15, 16, 17, we have the story of Abraham. And I'll just summarize what God did with Abraham. He had a covenant that he made with Abraham. And he told Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant between us that you will greatly increase in numbers. And you'll be the father of many nations. And you will be very fruitful. I will make nations from you. Kings will come from you. And he's going to establish a covenant, an everlasting covenant between God and Abraham's descendants for generations to come. And he's going to give him a piece of land, geography. And in this geography, he's going to bless this family of Abraham. And all of these blessings would be passed down from generation to generation through bloodline, through the bloodline of Abraham. And so we call this a covenant blessing. It was perpetuated and passed along through family, 
through the bloodline of Abraham. Similar to today how we have some Native Americans who qualify for certain privileges from the government if they have a certain percentage of Native American blood. And so in Abraham's case, through his family, through his kinship, through his bloodline, God says all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that covenant put marriage and family at the center of Israel's identity and purpose. It was at the center of their identity. In ancient Israel, having a family was a high calling. It was the highest calling. It's what made someone a whole person. Why? Because in the national consciousness, God's blessings were channeled through the biological family. Now, some of us today have kind of imported this message of saying, hey, you're only worthy if you're married, if you have a family. And, and, and it's sad that the church kind of has, um, or cultures have kind of imported this message that you, your worth is in your marriage, your worth is in your ability to have a family. Because how many of you know that there are some people here meant to do great things for the kingdom of God apart from being married and apart from having a family? Yeah? Any single people in the house? that God might be using you right now to do great things for his kingdom, and yet we pressure them and say, hey, when are you going to get married? And I get it. We're, some Filipinos are like that, right? Culturally, we see value in marriage, in having children, and yet we don't affirm the value of just being a child of God, saying, how does God want to use you right now in your singleness? Right? So I affirm you single people in the house. Yes, we affirm you. You are very much a part of our family. And you have an important role to play in the kingdom of God. So don't take that for granted. And forgive those who are trying to pressure you into, into just getting married just so you can get married. Right? But yeah, seek the Lord in that area of your life. Okay? I think I digressed a little bit. God's blessings... In the past, in Abraham's time, they were channeled through this biological family. And so in Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew, there was no such thing as being a bachelor. It was unthinkable for a man to remain single. Again, this is in ancient times and in some cultures. And so unless you were a... If, unless you had a chronic illness or you were a eunuch, um, you were considered ritually impure. But if you weren't one of those, then you should eventually get married and have children because those children were your future. Those children were part of your God-ordained destiny. Now, if you're a woman back in those days, a woman found her worth only in childbearing. And so if, if you read through some of the Old Testament scriptures, it was a shame for women not to be able to, to be barren, to not be able to give birth. Because again, the, 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 the promise of God, the, 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 the role of God's plan redeeming the world was through a biological family, through Abraham. In America, we have these things called self-evident truths. What are those truths? The right to life, 
liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In Israel's time, their truths, they had a right to be married, to raise children, and experience God's blessing. Without family, there was no blessing. And so, Jesus comes to center stage. He enters into human history. And what happens when we see Jesus relating to family? Jesus redefines family in light of the kingdom of God. Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one. But guess what? Jesus' claim to be Messiah was, was hard for Israel to accept. Why? Because Jesus never got married. And Jesus never had children. And so in order to have the covenant blessing flow through you, what did you need to do? You needed to have a family, and you needed to pass on the blessing through your children. And so was Jesus blessed? In their eyes, no way. He could not be the Messiah. If you ask a Jewish person today, they would have an issue with Jesus being celibate. Because how can the blessing pass through such a man when he's not married, when he doesn't fit under this criteria of, living, of a man that lives under God's blessing? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he doesn't talk about the family of Israel, but he talks about the kingdom of God. And he starts redefining the biological family according to the principles and values of the kingdom of God. So if we look at Mark chapter 3, verse 31, there's an incident of Jesus. He's in a house, and his followers are in the house with him. But his family comes, and they think he's kind of crazy. And so they want to bring him out and talk to him. And so Jesus' mother's mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Look what Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother, my brother, and sister, and mother. That's a hard saying. But is Jesus devaluing and destroying the biological family here? No. He is getting to the heart of what family means in the kingdom of God. Because even in Hebrew, the word son and daughter throughout the Old Testament didn't just refer to blood relation. The label of son and daughter was also used to refer to those who were obedient to God's will. So to be a child of God in Israel meant you were obedient to the laws of God. You were obedient to the covenant. And so this carries over into Jesus' time. So when we see the, the story of the prodigal son, what happens when he lives a disobedient life? He returns to his father and says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've been disobedient. I've messed up. Make me one of your servants. And so it's in this line of thinking that Jesus says, family for me is now defined as those who desire to be obedient to God's will. 
And in Luke 14, he encapsulates this idea. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a powerful word, hate. He doesn't mean you need to have a disdain and disrespect for your family. He doesn't say, be hostile towards your family. No, that's not the word hate here. The word hate is, in, is, is, is translated to love less or to, to have less loyalty to that biological family and giving ultimate loyalty to Jesus. So he's calling us to a higher allegiance, an allegiance to him. He's not destroying the family, but Jesus is putting family in its place, in its right perspective. And so real family and real freedom and real fulfillment cannot happen without Jesus at the center. It's this ultimate loyalty to Jesus that gives us meaning in every other aspect of our lives, including our family. So when we think of our biological family and its importance, according to Jesus, its highest purpose, its greatest significance is through the family that Jesus created. Jesus doesn't just call individuals to himself. He calls them into a community, a new family, not based on kinship, not based on blood ties, but on faith and obedience to him. And so this community is what we recognize today as the church, the church, the family of God. And everyone who decides to pledge allegiance to him becomes part of this new family. And so what makes us family? First, it's what Jesus did. It's the finished work of Christ. The Bible has several metaphors to describe how we become part of the family of Jesus. The first metaphor is being born again, or born anew. In John 3, verse 3 to 4, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. See, what Nicodemus didn't understand when Jesus said, you must be born again, he didn't understand that it wasn't about being part of a physically, uh, a biological family. It, it's not just being physically born into Abraham's family that made you part of the kingdom of God. Rather, it's being part of the, king, being part of the kingdom of God requires us to undergo a spiritual birth through faith in Jesus. So when you and I believe in Jesus and trust him and put our faith in him because of who he is and what he says he's done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, then we become born again. We are born into the new family, into God's family, into Jesus' family. And so one of the ways that we celebrate birth is through birthdays, yes? Anyone have a birthday today? No? This month? September? Yeah, happy birthday. All right. 
And one of the ways we celebrate new birth in Christianity in the church is through baptism. It's a ceremony that symbolizes the new birth into the new family. Because being born is a big deal. Birthdays for your kids are big deals, yes? I was, two, uh, a week ago, I found a box of videotapes. And one of them was labeled Daphne's birth 11 years ago, my daughter. And I had to find the video recorder that I used in order to play this tape. Does anyone know what a tape is? Yes, okay. Kids don't know what tapes are, right? So I popped it in, I pressed play, and it didn't work. So I had to take this thing apart, find out what was broken, fix it, so that I could play the tape and see the day that my daughter was born. And so, kids, you won't understand. When we say videotape it, we actually had a tape. Like, it was in a cassette, and there's tape there. And when we say rewind, it literally rewinds the tape. You guys don't know that, okay? It's just this, you know, screen thing, right? Um, but yeah, what am I getting to? My point is this. I, 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 I show her her birthday. She, she, she loved it. It was like, wow. I show her her brother, who's two years old at the time, who is like enamored by this little baby, right? Nowadays, not so much. Um, but it's a big deal when you're born. It's a big deal when you become part of Jesus' family. It's a big deal. And, and, and our church family needs to be having more birth, new birth, more people coming in to God's family. And we need to make a big deal about it. That's why we make a big deal about getting baptized. So if you're wondering, should I get baptized next time? I think we're going to do it in October should I get baptized? Well, the question is, do you want to celebrate your birthday? Yeah. We want to celebrate that you were born in to the family of God. And so say yes to baptism if you haven't done so already. Let us know. Let Pastor Ron know. And, 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 and it'll be a time where the whole family gets together and we just celebrate birth. Right? Second um, metaphor for coming into God's family is this idea of adoption. Say adoption. Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the, the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So through Jesus, you and I have been adopted as God's sons and daughters. And we share in this inheritance. We did nothing to deserve the blessings of God. We weren't born into the biological family that carried out the blessings. But because of his great pleasure... And his will. He chose us out of his grace and mercy. He chose us to treat us as sons and daughters, to be adopted into his family, and to allow us to share in the inheritance 
that is in Christ Jesus. No longer is the inheritance and blessing tied to a family, a single nation, but to all who put their faith in Jesus. Galatians tells us, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there's a new family that God is making out of all those who trust in Jesus, no matter what age you are, what ethnicity you come from, what, what social status you have, no matter what gender you are, marital status doesn't matter. What makes us family is what Jesus has done. And then there's the flip side of that, the other side of the coin. What makes us family is our response to what Jesus has done, our desire to live in obedience to God. Because Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And he tells us, if you would follow me, you would deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so what makes us family is Jesus' self-giving love for us and our self-denying love for him. His finished work, our faithful worship. And so do you believe and trust his finished work on the cross on your behalf? And if you do, do you desire to grow in faithful worship and self-denying love for God? And if you do these things, then you're in the family. You're in God's family. And being in God's family has implications. I'm going to talk about one of these implications today. The most obvious one is keeping Christ as the top priority in our family. Seeking first the kingdom of God. So I'm going to ask you this question. How can you as a family encourage one another regularly to become more devoted followers of Jesus that makes God's kingdom their highest priority. Matthew 6, 33. Let's read this together as a family. Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek him first. Sometimes we think first means just a list. So God first family, job, ministry, school, play. But first actually means highest importance. It's a priority that permeates the list. Every other thing in our list has to go through God being at the center, Christ being at the center. And so our family, our work, our education, our hopes, our dreams, our future, our leisure, our finances, our relationships, our ministry, all go through the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So how can we be a Christ-centered family? We have, we're Christian families here, but how can we be a Christ-centered family? family that encourages each other to regularly become more devoted followers of Jesus. I'm going to give you some helpful suggestions. There's an insert in your bulletin where Pastor Ken and I, and we, 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 we thought of some ways that you can use this with your families. And so the first one is called spiritual mathematics. Take an honest and personal 
assessment of your spiritual life. Renew your personal spiritual growth commitment to the Lord. Anyone like math? I love math. Here's what we mean by spiritual math. You got to ask yourself, what needs to be added? Ask someone, what needs to be added? Maybe you need to sign up today for EHS. Maybe you need to start a new Bible plan, reading plan, and do it every day. Maybe you need to explore different methods of prayer and devotion. Maybe you need to join a life group. Maybe you need to just start singing worship music every day, listening to more Christian teachings. Whatever that is, what needs to be added? And then what needs to be subtracted? Almost said distracted. What needs to be subtracted? What are some things in your life that are distracting you from keeping the Lord at the center? Maybe it's excessive media or entertainment. Maybe it's an unhealthy habit. Maybe it's an addiction that you need to kick. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in that's become an idol. What needs to be subtracted? What needs to be divided? What we mean by this is, how can we restructure our time? What routines do we need to break down so that we can steward our time more wisely? So that we can make time for work and play and reading scripture and, and, and being in God's presence and Sabbathing, resting. How can we divide what needs to be divided in our lives? What needs to be multiplied in our lives? What do we need to invest right now? Time, energy, money. An investment isn't going to see uh, a, a return until later on. So we put something in now, and it's going to grow and grow until later on. Plant the seed and see the results later. Maybe it's, you know, um, a discipline that you just need to, to start right now. Good work. Trusting that God's going to bring a harvest in due season. And then what needs to be graphed out? What needs to be put down on paper so that you can see it from a different perspective? What do you need to show someone? Say, hey, this is kind of like what God is showing me, the plan he has that he's revealing to me in his word. What do you think about it? Give me some insight. Give me, give me a, your input. You know, show a mentor. and Maybe you'll discover some solutions and some wisdom from the Lord so that they can speak into your life. See things from a new perspective, from God's perspective. Graph it out. Write it out. Journal. Right? So these are a few helpful ways, spiritual math, that we can use to, um, to, to renew our commitment to the Lord, to make Him our utmost priority. Second thing we could do is get curious. Say, get curious. You guys have some curious kids, and they ask you questions. Why, 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 why? And you don't know the answer. Hey, it's okay for us to not know the answer. It's okay for us to just ask the question. Because as we ask the question, we're opening ourselves to seeking God's kingdom first, right? We're opening ourselves with this intention of learning, of being humble and saying, I don't have all the answers. I'm not God. 
And so I don't have the solution to every problem I have. I need a solution. And so you ask God, and you ask your, those who are wiser than you, hey, what do you think about this? How do I become a, a more dedicated follower of Jesus? What does the Bible have to say about this? Jesus didn't just give all the answers. He asked the questions of his disciples. He said, who do you say that I am? Who do others say that I am? What about you? What do you think? What do you want me to do for you? He could have just said, hey, I noticed you need a miracle. I'm going to do it right now. He asked, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't just say, hey, this is who I am. I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. Who do you say that I am? He asked, are you going to leave me too? Because a bunch of people just left and said, I don't want to follow Jesus. And then he said, are you going to leave me too? And his disciples had to ask that question of themselves and, and, and figure out why. Figure out why they would want to stick around with Jesus. And so if you have this question, why should I stay here in this family? And you just leave without asking the question and allowing God to give you the answer, allowing people to speak in your life, right? So be curious. Ask questions. Allow children to ask you questions. And don't think that you have all the answers. Tell them, hey, let, let's find the answer together. Do it together. Number three, listen and learn from one another. Have a growth mindset. Encourage each other daily. Gather together for a meal. Have spiritual conversations with your family, with your sibling, with your friend, with your child, with your spouse. Use this guide that we've provided as a starting point. We have time whenever we're waiting in line, whenever we're waiting for our meal at the restaurant, when you're at Disneyland. When you're at school, just in between classes, you have time to just ask, ask a question. Hey, what do you think about God? What, is, what do you think about what you heard today? Start listening and learning from each other. Parents, we have this kind of, um, we, we, we tend to want to just give our kids the answers. Yes? We just want to say, this is, this is, that's it. This is because I said so. That's why. Right? Instead, how about you allow them to speak and listen to them? What's going on in their soul? Why are they feeling the, the way they feel? Right? We're so, we're so quick to, to say, oh, I'm going to fix this for you. I'm going I'm to, you know, this is the answer. This is what you need. Ask questions together. Right? Learn, listen, love each other that way. And it's in these difficult conversations. It's not easy. It's in these difficult conversations that you can be learning something about your spouse, about your kids, about your friends, about your brother and sister uh, in Christ. And as you're learning together, you're doing life together, right? And so I challenge you. When you look at your neighbor, I challenge you. Tell them I challenge you to do these things. Let's, let's all be on this growth path of, of being more devoted followers of Jesus right? So take some of those tips, whatever you want. Um, there's more stuff online that you can use, but it has to be intentional. Spiritual stuff doesn't happen accidentally. We don't accidentally become more spiritual, right? 
Uh, we don't accidentally become more devoted followers of Jesus. It takes an intentionality, and we need to do it as a family. Start there. Amen?